Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Matt Sulin, Yasina Valentukovic, Florian Markard, and Denny Carlson to discuss Culture is Key The Secrets of Companies with Great Workplaces. So before we delve into the topic any further, we'll work our way around the group with some introductions. So Matt, would you like to kick us off? Thanks. So I'm Matt Stulin. I'm Director of Core Technologies at Axis Communications in Lund. Uh, been with the company for almost 15 years now. And um, uh, in, in my role, I've got, got teams working with long-term, within R&D, working with long-term technology development. So AI technologies, cybersecurity technologies, etc. Uh, and uh, as Axis is a very cultural-driven company, uh, I've been engaged very much in our internal work with the cultures. It's a topic that I'm really passionate about. I'm really looking forward to this um, podcast. Justina, would you like to go next? Sure. I'm really excited, first of all, to be on this podcast. So thanks, Abby, for inviting me. And um, hey, everyone, I'm Justina. I'm a Lithuanian, I live in Vilnius, uh, but I spent most of my professional uh, career like working with, uh, with an international setup. So I had pleasure working with many colleagues in Scandinavia, mainly uh, Sweden, uh, just like uh, some awesome people on this podcast, <laughs> I know. Uh, so for the last couple of years, I'm working at Delia as an engineering manager, and um, I am leading an awesome team uh, that develops web portals for Delia's customers in Sweden. And um, um, if any of my team members listening to this podcast, so I'm sending greetings to you. And um, uh, what, what my teams do, I like saying like that we are developing customer experiences since a lot of the customers interact with Telia through the digital uh, channels. So we are really obsessed uh, with making uh, the experience for the customers as as good as possible. And to achieve that, we as well um, work with the insights uh, from analytics, customer feedback, and so on. So these are sources for us to make our solutions uh, really uh, good. And uh, besides that, we as well very focused on uh, growing our technical competences in organization and the team. Uh, we are working with DevSecOps concept and a lot with the culture. Culture is really high on our agenda uh, as we want to create a great culture uh, where people are engaged and enjoy working. And uh, Besides uh, this professional part, I'm also a bit involved in academic world as I'm a PhD student in management and uh, um, it's a wild ride and one of the key areas I'm exploring like from scientific perspective is culture also. So uh, this uh, this topic here we will be discussing here today, I'm really curious about that, not only from the practical point of view, but also from scientific. So that's me. Amazing, thank you. Um, Florian, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Uh, my name is Florian. I'm originally from Germany, but uh, my family and I, we moved two years ago to Sweden, where we are living now. And uh, I work for Bosch. I'm a VP and I'm heading the R&D office that we have here in Lund. Uh, it's a hub for innovation where we develop software solutions for uh, our customers. One of our fields is the future mobility, where we develop software solutions for autonomous driving cars, um, hopefully solving some of our future traffic problems, um, and also the way we use our cars in the future. Another field is AI and connectivity. Here we develop solutions, for example, for our Bosch e-bikes. Um, this will hopefully help people to commute easy um, with bikes and in a sustainable way. And of course, when connecting products, you also always need to look into security and cybersecurity. So this is also another field that we're working in to make sure the products are safe uh, and reliable for our customers. Um, yeah, for my myself, I've been in the industry for over 20 years now in software development mainly, from software engineering to project management, heading different teams. I've worked in uh, three different countries the same company 
I've experienced also different cultures from the country and how within a company you can have different cultures in different teams. And that's quite exciting to see how does it match to the bigger picture. Um, and it's also a topic I'm very passionate about since my family is as well, very international American kids are born in Hungary. So yeah, looking forward to this. Lovely. Thank you. Um, and last but not least, Denny. Yes, thank you. Excited to be here. Uh, I work um, as a group CISO at Dustin. So that's uh, information security business strategy, I would say. Uh, I have a background in um, uh, IT operations and IT infrastructure, uh, but security has always been an element in all the functions I've held over the years. And now I focus solely on cybersecurity and information security. Um, I think that uh, working with strategy, working with security is sometimes I think that, huh, what has culture to do with that? But the uh, culture is key in, stra- in security strategy too. Without that, not much happens. You can have great technology, you can have great processes, but without the culture, and it can be not only security culture, but the culture of the company, it's hard to, or it's a lot harder to leverage uh, those capabilities. So that I have a very keen interest in culture, uh, both from a uh, the the perspective of, of that I like it, but also that I think it's uh, necessary and, and a key element in uh, having success for a security strategy too. So yeah, that's me. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Lovely. Well, now that we all know you a bit better, we will get stuck into the questions you have all prepared. So as usual, make our way around the group and we'll ask your own questions and thoughts about our topic of culture is key, the secrets of companies with great workplaces. So Florian, your question is first, and you asked, what makes a company culture a great one for you? And how does it manifest in behavior of colleagues, associates, bosses, or any other form? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, but like I just mentioned, uh, coming from a international family that lives in different cultures and also brings different cultures in, I've seen the same thing in in, in Bosch, where I work. Um, and it's always interesting that you can have a great culture, which is completely then in a different team or in a different company, but the other company also has a great culture. So for me, it's what does a culture really when is the culture great? When do people, um, you know, thrive and, and just start to perform and then come together as teams? Because culture is, from my perspective, um, affecting the behavior, the way we work together, the way we talk to each other, the way we talk to customers as well. Um, for me, this is a, is a very interesting thought. How the work I did, for example, where I worked in Hungary before was a different one when it came to culture than the work I do here in Sweden now. Um, because you have different work cultures, you have different company cultures, you have different cultures from the country, from the society. Um, and so for me, this is exciting to explore. And I would be interested how it is for the others as well. Um, what makes a culture a great culture in your context? And what is the behavior that uh, you see that reflects the company culture that you have? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can start answering to that. Um, Like for me, culture is primarily people. And uh, I think with the experience as well and with the years, like spent in various like organizations, you start to recognize certain patterns, certain things. Uh, what you need like in your work environment so that you could feel good and perform good like perform your best so uh, for me like um, I'm thinking about the behaviors that I really appreciate and want to see and uh, 
like in, in other people and colleagues uh, around an organization. So first of all, uh, it's collaboration. Like uh, I think it's a, a critical for a good, healthy culture to have a people who uh, want to succeed together, like not alone, like mm. uh, just uh, individual working on individual targets, but succeed together. Uh, another thing that I find really important uh, is um, transparency, honesty, and no openness in um, communication, like not hiding something from each other. Uh, as well, important to hear to speak up if something is not okay, if something not right. Do not talk behind the backs. Like go go and talk directly to to the face. See. Uh, one more thing, but uh, uh, as well, really important. Um, people who want to be better, better version of themselves every day <laughs> to improve a little bit and to learn. So uh, I think this is a critical. This this is something I myself really trying like uh, to come uh, to that approach to mm. to work and in personal uh, matters also. And, but also, like, not only, like, be better themselves, but also care about others in, like, uh, your team, um, other colleagues around, like, and help them to grow by, like, offering good constructive feedback um, that the person could act on and do something differently, learn something, improve. Uh, to mentor, for example, like, to be a, be a mentor, help others to grow. Uh, and uh, the last but not least, uh, people who want to do their best at work, like we are engaged uh, and they really want to truly to create something together. So I found this as the, a critical like uh, things that uh, if uh, people behave that way, I'm feeling good in that environment. I enjoy working and the same um, expectations I have on leaders. But leaders uh, would be um, practicing same behaviors and uh, so encouraging such behaviors and in, in people uh, around, like creating environments so that people would act uh, this way. I think so, that's a very good point. Mm -hmm. Culture starts with us, right? With us as leaders as well. And if we want to see a certain behavior, then of course we often, you know, be a, we need to be a role model in that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Oh, you, you asked though, what it what it means that to have successful uh, culture, and I think one way to to measure that or see when it comes into play, I think of the difference between growing a company organically, where everyone comes in uh, to the company and has seen the values and the what the culture stands for at the company. Uh, that's one way, but when you do like merging acquisitions, then then you might not you might be the acquired company where you don't have the same culture, so you kind of have to accept the new culture. And then it comes into play, do you change your values to adopt uh, to more of what the company you've acquired have, or will you stick to to what you believe in your core values? So I think that if you have good, good culture, if you build something that you believe in, you stick to your core values, no matter what you add on, and you build from that. Uh, and then you accept that maybe not everyone will take that to heart and believe in that and they want to move somewhere else but that you're okay with that because you only want to keep uh, the people who will work together in, and, and take those uh, core values uh, with them when they do everything and that will affect of course the behavior as you say so i think that's one way of uh, looking at it so it's not a paper product it's actually something you do in everything that you do uh, but then in my experience when you add things where, where when you merge something where you have very different views, then you need something to stick to. Otherwise, you have a mismatch and in the end, no one's happy because you, you the, the middle ground will, will just be middle ground. It won't be what you believe in. And if you have to change your culture because uh, you are doing something, then you can reflect on how how strong was that culture to begin with. So, so I see it a little bit from that point of view that if it's a sex successful, it's core values that will uh, not change so much over time. Uh, other things may change. How would that's represented? How that's uh, uh, viewed on uh, when you add new things? Because it's also should be some kind of openness in this that you're uh, willing to understand. Uh, like I said, moving into uh, new countries, uh, there might be uh, things that you have to adopt to 
because it's very different, but you can still stick to the core values, I believe. So I think that yeah. if you look at you're working for Bosch, you said that's a pretty big company, then uh, of course you will be in many different countries and you cannot have too much of the uh, deviances everywhere. There needs to be some, a fundament for the company to stick to. This is the core we stick to wherever we go. But mm. then there might be local deviations depending on on uh, uh, the country of that uh, uh, yeah, country. And I think this is the same. Uh, if you move as family or if you work in a company in different countries, you always have a core that you take with you. But I think you also learn to adapt new things. And I think this is an important part that once we moved to Sweden, for example, we adopted, of course, also the, the Swedish tradition and the, and the cultures. That doesn't mean I give up the, the German in me or my wife doesn't give up the American in her, but we take on things and we, we ask. And I think this makes us richer in some aspect. That's a very good point. Thanks, Danny. Uh, I think I agree with both of you. And one quick comment around uh, mergers and acquisitions access we've done a few uh, acquisitions and in that process we, we are very uh, cautious about the, the company culture in, in companies where which we look into because we really don't believe that you can change the core culture in, in a company that there needs to be some kind of match and I think that goes for individuals as well. As you say, uh, Florian, you, you could take on new behaviors, etc. But your core values are really difficult to, to change. Uh, you need to have a match with that and, and a match with the culture in the company you're working with. But when, when I saw your question, uh, my first two reflections were that you could have two, two different perspectives on, on this. One is the individual perspective. Well, what What is, is a great culture for me as an individual? And I think coming back to you, Justina, it's a it's a culture where I am allowed to prosper and do, be my best self, uh, be be true to myself. Uh, that that t- sort of takes a lot. Uh, um, uh, it, it creates sort of a, a lot of. Um, you you need to have some fundamentals to be able to do that. Some, some sort of uh, safety and and, and comfort in, in your daily work and in the environment. But for me, that that's sort of a, uh, the culture where I'm able to grow and uh, express myself uh, uh, as as far as I can. But then you could have a, a company perspective as well. What well, what is a good corporate culture uh, from a company perspective? That that's sort of um, ideally that there should be a match because a company culture should uh, enrich the company and help the company address the challenges uh, the company is facing, sort of. So there, there are two perspectives into that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what I see also is that, uh, you know, when we hire people, that people look more and more towards also not just what's the company name or what's the product, but also what's the culture. Yep. Uh, so this is immediately affecting uh, my daily life. And culture as well, like plays important role in attracting, you know, the right profiles mm-hmm. because it becomes like a, a kind of company's, um, how to say, like competitive ad- advantage or something. If, yeah. if the people here feel like, uh, but this company has a, a really great culture and it matches my values. Like for example, Netflix or Google, they are really uh, using a lot, like communicating a lot about their culture externally, like and using that for their uh, branding. Uh, I believe they, they are doing well inside, but like from uh, to be uh, from externally, like looking, it looks like really they are the ones uh, investing in creating, building the culture. Lovely. Well, we'll move on to the second question, which is yours, Yasina, and you asked, how does culture shape the performance of tech teams? And could you share a few examples of cultural traits that can boost tech teams, as well as those that might hinder them from reaching their full potential? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yes, so the reason I'm really interested in this is like uh, great culture, you know, feel good. People, our employees are happier. 
But is there um, any other motivation for the companies to invest in, in creating the culture? Is there a business case? Like basically, <laughs> I, I want to, how, how you think, is there a business case like for companies to invest, add effort in creating good culture? And uh, then what uh, um, kind of, uh, you know, characteristics in the culture are needed like to affect uh, the performance in a positive way? Looking at start with that, but I think to some extent, looking at the team, you need to look at the, the task the team is a sort of set up to to solve. And I think in most tech companies, uh, the, the the we are trying to to build teams that are really efficient in addressing difficult problems. So so it's not only about productivity, but it's also about creativity and trying to to do a. a an analysis and solving really difficult tasks. But for me, I, I, I come back to two, two concepts. Well, one is psycholo psychological safety, uh, which is sort of well investigated, and and Google is really pushing that as well. And that is sort of creating the atmosphere in a team where you you really build trust within the team you, you feel safe enough to bring out your differing opinions and and to, to have a constructive discussion etc where you can have all, all contributing with their different perspectives in, in, in solving difficult tasks the other one I think I mean to, to come come away from just only psychological safety and the the feeling of having a nice environment for, for the team is really really pushing accountability uh, so that we we dare to set uh, sort of tough targets for the team uh, but also to, to demand accountability uh, among each other uh, and to build the trust that uh, you, your peers are delivering uh, and they uh, sort of account have an accountability that you should deliver as well I think those two perspectives is what really drives the, the high performance teams. I yeah, if I can add, I mean, I completely go with with you in the sense of you know safety is important for people. You can't work at a company where you don't feel well, where you don't feel safe, where you feel like people are talking behind your back. I mean, nobody would stay at this company. And Justina, you asked about what's the business case. I think this is the business case. People will only stay at your company if they feel safe. I mean, there's other factors for sure, yeah, but this is the key factor, I believe. Um, and as we mentioned as well, the, the recruitment aspect, you will not attract any talent if people know that in your company, you have a company culture that is not what they want, they are looking for. But in addition, I think um, what I have realized in my career is that uh, when I started my career, it was often that people were withholding information because it meant they had a certain power. But I think over the years, this has changed. People are looking much more for transparency. They want to know what's going on. I mean, we're working with adults. We're not working with, you know, five-year-olds. They know what life is all about. They know that things are sometimes tough and sometimes they're going well. They don't want to be left in the dark so i think for the engineers that i'm working with they need to know what's going on they want the transparency and they deserve the transparency as well and once you work with engineers and you know brilliant minds my experience is they also appreciate if you give them space to actually elaborate to be creative to to think about innovative ideas you can't just squeeze them in from meeting to meeting and, you know, schedule their day by the minute and then say, okay, now let's be creative and now invent something new. Um, for us as a company, it is important that we give them the space to, to elaborate, to, to explore, to just do things. And even if the, you know, the, the idea is at the end, not a product we sell, it gives them something where they feel I've tried it. And I've come to a conclusion, whatever the conclusion is at the end. Um, and my feeling, especially also here in Sweden, is that, that people want to create something. They don't come to just fill out Excel sheets or PowerPoints or 
write their lines of code, they want to create something and therefore they need the time to do so. I really like what uh, you see, stress that the space, like creating the space for people to innovate, to collaborate. And uh, that's, I see as uh, primarily duty for the leaders to create that space, to protect the teams, to make sure that they have that time for innovation. I know launch an innovation sprint, uh, not just run from one task to another task uh, in the backlog. So I think it's uh, leaders can shape that a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with what you say, and I think that that uh, looking at it from not as what the, the team is, but what the task is, I think is a good starting point. Uh, so we focus now on tech teams, but maybe we should not do that. You say it goes for any team, it's just that they have a different task, and usually they have different capabilities. They're usually quite analytical, and they understand things from one different perspective. Uh, but still, if you want to build that into culture, it kind of needs to have those elements uh, that will play out anywhere in the company because they will interact with other teams too. But uh, 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 looking at that, it's usually about uh, being able to fail fast and uh, discover that uh, something went wrong and that's okay that it goes wrong. So I think that the safety you talked about, that that's always key. And then transparency, I think that uh, goes both ways, also transparent outwards, but also getting the true objectives. What are we trying to achieve here? Because the team want to be part of the journey. They just don't want to do something they don't understand what it's meant for. Uh, and that's where the creativity comes in, understanding more of, of the, what you're trying to do. Even if it's something outside of the boundaries of what the team is actually tasked with, it can help because they see things from a different perspective than other teams, uh, especially if it's R&D and so. But, the, but the being, me being security, that's one of those things see it as a team sport uh, rather like football rather than tennis that okay maybe we don't have all the knowledge of every security element in here why not call up the security guys and ask them to help us instead of trying to push accountability back and forth there is always someone's account accountable but to do that as a team effort and the transparency instead of withholding so you don't get uh, like a backlash or something i think there's where you get the really good uh, efficiency and uh, results from teams that the they feel that everything is is happening um, together. Even so, you instead of getting the requirements and just fix it, you get the requirements, but someone that will help you if you don't know what to do. I think that's a type of behavior and attitude is is what you're looking for, from my perspective at least. Yeah, I think you're spot on when it comes to different teams also needing different things. Uh, that's what I said also at the beginning that I believe there can be different cultures even within one company because different people need different things and different teams need different cultures maybe but I think it's also important for us as leaders to recognize that and then to bring those cultures together because cultures can clash uh, we, we yeah. see this every day um, but it's our job as leaders to also make sure that you know we, we take some of the edges off and we make sure that the people can come together and the teams and the cultures can come together I think that's I can... Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, the leadership aspect of perspective is quite interesting as well. Because creating the space for innovation, etc. It's so easy to go wrong as a leader, uh, even sometimes with good intentions. But it's so easy to, to destroy the culture by, by inter interfering and interacting. So, um, and, and the question is uh, how you would steer and, and, and focus a, a team uh, without disturbing the, the freedom and, uh, and the innovation. My, my take on that is that we talked about transparency, to make sure that the team has as much as inf relevant information as possible. That's one way to, to, to help the, the team. The other one is, is to focus and pose questions or challenges, ideally customer-related challenges. Because if, if you focus on solving a problem, that's a way to focus the energy and the creativity. Instead of trying to steer with, with uh, sort of uh, boundaries or, or uh, processes. So the, the leadership perspective is quite interesting in this. Knowing when to go in and when to stay away from it, right? Yes. I want to, to a bit to, to back as well our discussion of some you know research <laughs> material. Oh. Uh, maybe the ones who are in engineering, um, you're following state of DevOps 
reports that are being published uh, every year. And there is a really nice book, Accelerate, based on, on the research uh, uh, data. And uh, what are the facts? Discover it, like uh, analyzing the data from the resp- resp- of respondents from many different thousands of different companies is what um, companies or teams with a strong culture, they ex- as well excel in uh, their DevOps competences and how, how they do, uh, how they act and work, perform uh, as an engineering uh, team, a unit. Uh, so uh, now science as well doing but come on guys <laughs> culture is uh, really really important uh, if you want to have high performing uh, teams uh, uh, high performing like software delivery units um, so I think that this should be if, if it's not enough like for the companies to, to know but the culture is the way to keep the talents attract talents so there is one more fact that it as well uh, influence performance a lot. Lovely. Great discussion around that one. Um, so we will move on to your question next, Denny. And you asked, how do you build and maintain a culture in a digital context? So tell us a bit more about yours. Yeah, no, it's something I've been reflecting on and, and uh, thinking about. Uh, we uh, were at the office every day uh, before the pandemic. Uh, rarely any remote work and long pandemic hit and we started work remotely and then we stuck to that and during that time we also made uh, some acquisitions so we moved into other countries and that meaning that many teams are dispersed uh, across uh, several countries and uh, uh, yeah it's a big change uh, some teams within even within the team they only meet once every year maybe so how do you build a culture from that and how do you maintain it uh, when you don't meet in person, but only in a digital context? That might, that is my question. Uh, I can go first. <clears throat> I think th- this is a really uh, difficult topic. Uh, I think we've all sort of experienced uh, the, the COVID and, and working remotely, etc. And, uh, and I mean, at Axis, we 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 have an office first uh, fo- focus, even though the, the flexibility has increased, uh, allowing some, some remote work. Uh, but uh, we strongly believe that uh, uh, the, the efficiency of communication is key to, to really solving difficult problems efficiently. So you can do operational work remotely you know, using emails, chat, etc. But but the, the real create, creative work you know, requires uh, a multitude of communication channels, which are really difficult to digitize. Of course, uh, that said, uh, I mean, the, the tools we have now been compared to just before COVID are so much better. So, so we are moving into to the, being more and more efficient in this. I think that you really need to work hard to, to make sure that uh, you, you foster and and, and you know, work with culture in a di- digital domain or digital uh, setting. And because, I mean, culture comes back to the, the individual behaviors. And uh, I mean, having strict rules on behaviors, that really doesn't work. The, in a team, the, the way a culture is formed is by small nudging and, and small uh, signals in teamwork which really can, you know, sort of creates the culture in the team. That's so much more difficult in, in, a, in a digital setting. I totally agree with you, Mats, but it's way more challenging like to build a good culture and maintain it in digital uh, ways, in digital uh, context. And um, like uh, I as well um, uh, feel that culture is a lot about engagement like if if families are engaged then they are supporting the culture and helping like you uh to to foster that culture in in organization uh but then in the digital context how to create that engagement it's much more challenging compared to the setting than team is collocated for example working in, in in the same in the same office seeing each other chatting with each other uh and so on uh so building complete different like social uh, interactions, uh, knowing each other way better. Uh, so in digital context, I believe this requires more effort 
and uh, what leaders should uh, be aware that they need to add more effort. Uh, you mentioned communication channels, tools. Yes, tools uh, to be available for the employees, good tools, like for example, we use Slack uh, in, in our like unit uh, teams. There's really, really good, as you say, uh, the tools are advancing themselves. Uh, uh, to me, it's such a demand to worry of people more and more working uh, remotely, uh, like digitally. So perfect tool, but then is the problem, uh, do people, how people use that tool? Because tool is just a tool, but how people use that tool. And uh, this as well needs some ground rules, like you need, you need to work um, so that it would add value and benefit and would support, help you uh, like to, to work with the uh, culture. Um, Besides the tools, uh, uh, you also need to think like how to gather people digitally, as we if we are not like meeting uh, on site, like and uh, to to create such occasions. Uh, but what we do, like in our organization, like uh, for example, um, we thought that they really want to encourage uh, more like innovation, learning, and sharing uh, culture uh, in in the unit. So what we did, uh, we um, create an occasion for that. They invited teams to come and share what they have done, but we have done new, some innovative ways, adopted new practices and, and so on, but we have done in the past period. Uh, but might be interesting for others to hear and maybe get inspiration. Uh, so we uh, created uh, the you know occasion for them to come to talk to share inspire each other learn from each other like in this way like uh, you know uh, building as well the culture that we uh, want to have in our unit and our people uh, to do now um, I think my answer to the question how to build and maintain a culture in a digital context is the short answer is with a lot of effort I think it takes a lot more from a leader or from a team, uh, for example, to, to integrate new employees uh, during the pandemic, we've every year we've hired I don't know how many people, but we've grown more than fifteen percent every year. So that meant also a lot of new employees coming in. And during the pandemic, what do you do? You give them a laptop and tell them, "Okay, here it is. Uh, we see you online." Uh, so this was, of course, the short version. Um, and then you need to put a lot of effort into actually explaining what is the company culture that you have. Sometimes you don't even know what is your company culture. Uh, this was the first discussion we had as a management team. What is our company culture? What do we tell people when they come and when they have the onboarding days? Um, now we're, of course, we're, we're presenting this, but we're also trying to show them, okay, this is how we live our company culture. These are the values we live by. Um, Luckily, we already have, of course, an established core. I don't know how companies do it who were founded during the pandemic. I mean, this must have been very tough. Um, for us, we had a core that we could build on, but we needed to put a lot of effort into explaining culture, living culture, fostering culture. And I do believe you can do this as well via Teams or via other online tools. But you need to do it intentionally. It doesn't just happen at the coffee corner. You need to take time and and talk about culture and and it, yeah, like I said, explain it as well. Uh, and you need to do this intentionally, I believe. Um, for us now, after the pandemic, we don't have a policy where we say office first anything. Um, within Bosch, every location does it a little bit different. For the office here in Lund, we say you can choose as an employee what is best for you, but also what works for your team and for your project you work on. And that sometimes differs. So we have people who come into the office five days per week and other people who come in maybe once every two weeks. Um, the way we make sure that people are not disconnecting, because I think that's the biggest challenge, that people disconnect when they only work from home. Um, because you have your laptop, of course, you talk about the topics, you do your work, but if the logo on the laptop would be a different one, it wouldn't change anything for you. Um, so therefore, I believe this, the connection between an employee and the company is important. 
and even more important, an employee and the other colleagues. So therefore, we have introduced that we said, okay, we want minimum every team to meet every second week in person in the office. We have team days that you at least have a nucleus of people that you meet, you connect with, that you work with, you solve the problems you can't do online, you know, stand on the whiteboard, do some graphs, do some um, charts, whatever is needed for the work, um, work it out in a workshop format, um, and then go back home and then implement the solutions. Right now, we're around about 280, 300 people. So we also organize what we call site days. We really call everyone in, everyone who works for Bosch here in Lund. Mm. And then we do, um, for example, team building activities or marketplaces. We have multiple teams who do very different things. And often they don't know from each other because they don't meet in the same teams meeting. So we present from engineer to engineer, the topics we do, and people can go around and meet people and mingle with people, have coffee with people. Um, and this is one way how we try to bridge that people work from home and they don't see each other on a daily basis, but they do connect on a regular basis. And I think this is important. Well, I think those are really, really important points. And uh, I mean, to some extent, it's about efficiency. and. and we shouldn't forget that the flexibility the, the new work climate has given also increases flexibility uh, and uh, not needing to stress home to pick up the kids uh, uh, at kindergarten or whatever. But so I mean, you, if you are able to build a loyalty with your employees or and your teams and, and give give the teams freedom, that that's really beneficial. But I, I think you have a really good point in, in that. Is it's not not the 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 eighty percent is the twenty percent who really need to be be picked up and, and make sure that they don't wander off sort of in, in isolation. That's really important. Um, but I, I, I mean, Axis, we 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 we're a global company as well, and I've seen to, to some extent uh, there's been benefit benefits to keep a global company together. And well, that's a real benefit because people have been much more used to, to working with di digital tools to communicate. So, so we as a company has come together uh, culture-wise much over uh, the, the pandemic. And my connections to, to the regions is much, much better now than it was two, three years ago. So there are benefits to that as well. You learned to work yeah. like, digitally, gained new skills. Now getting better and better in that. It's also one advantage has been from a CISO perspective is that it has for us dreamed that maturity because the need to document and show what you're doing is so much bigger. So people have become a lot better in that than we as a company have improved and we have used good tooling, of course. So we are helped with that, but that has helped a lot. What you said about changing the logo on the computer wouldn't matter. I think that's what we're after because. That was a sentiment during the pandemic when we asked, when we did service, why do you work for Dustin? And people said, well, I, I don't know. I really, I don't know. <laughs> Not really. Now I'm exaggerating a bit. But when we brought people back to the office, they said, oh, this is why my colleagues, this is the, the work we're doing here together. That's uh, what's driving it. So it's, and, and then to mimic the coffee machine talks that you have cross department, cross, uh, 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 it can be cross regions too. Uh, when you're visiting, uh, that is very difficult for us to do digitally. If uh, we did some tests that, okay, let's just call up people and have a chat. Uh, and okay, now me being a CISO might not have been the best uh, way to do it because then people are like, okay, now he's calling me. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Now this is really now. So started out very nervous and all that. But uh, but still, that behavior is uh, it's not so common. It's very structured. It's um, very formal. Uh, you book a meeting, you have the meeting, and there's no, the after meeting talks don't really happen for us as they do at the office. Uh, so there's a lot of those things. But I think that what you said, Florian, about, yeah, it needs to be a connection to what you're doing. You need to understand your purpose in in this and, and how it all fits together. I think that's uh, uh, what we at least are struggling a bit with being so extremely digital now because we do the digital first. So... Yeah, people come in when they need to, but uh, to be honest, we do see that uh, it is hard to motivate people just to come in if there's no, like, in, uh, if we don't push it. Uh, for instance, in our office in the Netherlands, we build a new cafeteria 
real like a lobby it's amazing with a barista and everything i thought this will make people just rush in but still it's hard uh, people like the flexibility and all that and there's a lot of positive things with that but then uh, i find this to be a hard topic because uh, i still uh, don't know really how do you make people want to come to the office how do you create that sense that yeah i want to go uh I think in part it's driven from, from what you said about, yeah, if it's project focused and you frame it like that, that where would the best job be done from your perspective and the perspective of the employee, employer and your team? I think that can help. Um, but we're struggling a bit uh, with this. Uh, some advantages, but we are uh, losing that, uh, or not losing, but we don't see as much of the, what can we call it, the ingredient that you have when people just meet that don't usually have a conversation uh, formally, but when they meet for other reasons at the office, they do talk and and uh, uh, sometimes uh, solve things together without uh, uh, anyone uh, pushing for it. But yeah, very very good uh, insights, and uh, good to hear how you have tackled it. To your companies, we actually have a little in-house tool which we call Lunch Roulette that signs you up with somebody else, and then you meet for a coffee or for lunch. That way, when I go with somebody for lunch, it doesn't feel like, oh, no, what did I do wrong? You know, the boss is calling oh, yeah, help yeah. now. Yeah. So we got signed up, so therefore that's, uh, that's maybe helping. Yeah. Um, but to, 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 yeah, to elaborate on this, uh, what drives people into the office, I mean, personally, what drives me into the office is, is my question. Uh, and, and usually what drives me into the office is, is the people. Because most of the calls that I have is, with Germany or other locations worldwide, uh, I can do them from home. But I don't have the people and the colleagues around me, and that gives me energy. And I think key is to know what gives you energy, what gives your team energy, what do they need? And then to, to, to communicate and to talk about that and to make this a point and say, hey, you know what, let's come together and maybe do an after work. Talking about getting people back uh, to office, uh, I myself like no noticed interesting, you know, uh, behavior. Then right after pandemic, we were trying like to push people coming to the offices, adding rules that you should spend maybe three three days in the office uh, and so. And people they are resistant because during pandemic they used to work uh, remotely and in their uh, location and so. Uh, but um, after a while, somehow we dropped pushing them and uh, the interesting thing happened we started coming to office themselves without like being asked they themselves uh, aligned with each other agree which day uh, team will collect uh, in the office uh, we'll spend some time for the workshop we'll go for some common lunch uh, together and so so that's an interesting, like what people, if they are pushed, they are a bit resistant. But uh, if you uh, like create that safe environment uh, and uh, uh, leave to them the choice, uh, then they act uh, like they, they understand themselves that this is beneficial for them uh, to meet to meet people both like from psychological health you know it's healthy for us to meeting people talking to them not only through the screens uh but also work-wise things uh, getting done way faster than you meet in the office lovely we'll move on to our last question now which is from you Mats, and you asked how do you maintain a culture in a growing company so tell us a bit more about your question well so uh, I think the, the discussions are interesting because it, it shows uh, that culture is such a broad uh, topic. You know, there, there are so many aspects to this. But my thinking was, I mean, Axis is a grown company, and uh, like like you, Florian, we've grown like 10, 15% in the last 25 years. So, so my, my thinking around culture is um, how do you ma maintain a culture in a growing company coming from a 50 people, 100 people company? Access today with 4,500 global. Uh, how do you maintain the, the same culture? And, the, and also, the, perhaps the question should you maintain the same culture? Uh, or should you try to tweak the culture as the company grows? Uh, there's also the, the aspect of growing from a one site company to, to a multi site, multi regional company. Um, but at the same time, I feel that. 
traveling into the regions uh, and meeting colleagues in the different geographies. Uh, when you when you enter an office, uh, you immediately feel the, the access culture in that office. So there is a core of the access culture which really thrives globally. Uh, but it's a tricky aspect how that to, to work with culture and maintain the culture in a growing company. I'm glad you said it yourself because I was uh, about to challenge if you should maintain a culture because I do think that you can maybe maintain a core of the culture, but when you grow, you need to adopt, you need to develop. Otherwise, I mean, as an example, when we started the office here, it started at somebody's living room, basically, because we didn't have an office rented yet. So we needed to meet with those few people. So it was at somebody's living room and just maybe half a year ago, we're still talking about, you know, the, remember the time in the living room. <laughs> And then we realized maybe we should move on. Maybe we should look, you know, what what do we have now and where do we want to go with this? Um, and we're not a small startup anymore. Uh, at some point, you you maybe when you're 15 employees or so, you know, you talk about a startup culture. But once you're in, 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 in a bigger size, you might want to keep some of that. But you also need to um, develop the 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 company in itself, and that means the culture, but also the processes, the way you do things. I mean, you can't handle 300 people the same way you handle 30. And what's just the 400,000 plus people worldwide? I mean, this you know, this gives the, a multitude of uh, complexity. I think you do. You're you're you should be true to yourself as a person, but also as a company. But you also should adopt and develop culture the same way as a person you develop once once you move or you know you have a different uh, circle of friends you adopt what they do and you you learn from them you take what works for you and you reject what doesn't work for you um, and I think you do this as a company as well and you need to then figure out from a small company to a multi-site company how how does I don't know, the office in Australia, how do the people think there? What's the culture there? Or what's the Hungarian culture where I worked before, which was completely different than the Swedish working culture. And you need to adopt. And then you also need to, when you work with these other countries and cultures, you adopt automatically. Uh, the same way, I think Bosch, of course, has, has its core. We have a slogan that's invented for life. This gives us a, a unique identity as, okay, this is what we stand for as Bosch. But the way we work in the Bosch office in Hungary or the Bosch office here in Lund is a different one. We have certain core values, but in Hungary, as a leader, you you might have to decide a lot more by yourself and then just say, okay, this is what we're going to do. While this doesn't work here in Sweden, where you have the consensus-driven management style, where you discuss it and you not just go in and say, hey, I'm the boss and I say, this is what we're going to do tomorrow. That doesn't work here, so you need to adopt that. And I think this this counts as well as a, for a company that grows and that needs to deal with other countries and other locations. You need to adapt your your leadership style. You need to adapt your working style and learn from each other. And I think this is then what excites me because then I can, you know, personally, but also as a company, you get richer because you learn from these other cultures and you can take something on that you feel like, wow, this is a great idea. He had a good thought of let's do this, you know, let's implement this. Um, and you might also realize, hey, not everything you thought is the best is really the best. And then you put something aside for a while and maybe bring it back, but you go a different path and you try it out and you, you see if it works. Now, we have uh, more or less doubled in size over the five past years, from 1,200 to uh, 2,500 employees. And so, so this has been something we've been thinking about. Uh, and and uh, I think that we might have had more differences in the core, if we call it that. But you talked about nuts then, then maybe uh, uh, what we expected. Uh, uh, but we has, what we have done is to stick to the values that we had 10 years ago, they're still the same, uh, but the, how they're implemented has changed a bit. And you were onto something. What we struggled a bit, a lot with in the beginning was decision models. 
because we predominantly operated in 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 the Nordic countries, and then the consensus model is very predominant. Uh, whereas in uh, in the uh, companies we acquired in the Netherlands, they use more of a top-down approach where the manager decides, and then you discuss, and then you take a new decision. So these two clashed uh, quite a bit when we didn't understand that from the beginning. But we had taken a decision, why are you still discussing? What's the, all these different uh, approaches? So so that's about learning and, and understanding, okay, then maybe we should talk about how do we do things and decide together on a model that works for us. So, but I don't know when it becomes bigger and bigger, if you can still stick to that, to have your values as the core and then adopt, uh, I, I'm not sure. And I think still it's... Uh, uh, different if you grow organically and you bring in people uh, a bit by bit and they adopt to the culture and they might be even attracted to the culture uh, and when you bring in big chunks uh, or blocks in, into the environment and they might have different uh, views on culture then I think it's more uh, difficult to, to maintain you can still do it but it's another another approach I think and I, I'm not sure how yeah. you do that I, I agree. I mean, I've been in also an organization within Bosch where we had 25, 30% growth every year. And at some point you realize it's actually too fast. You yeah. cannot keep up with building a culture because it's always, you're going through the change process. Somebody else is coming into the team. You're doing the team building process and so on and so on. Um, and it gets really tricky with mergers. Mm-hmm. We had companies that we bought or you know, integrated, and there, of course, you have a clash because they have a core value and you have a core value. And if they don't match, that's a tough work. And that puts, you need to put a lot of effort into that and to really bridge the different cultures and to bring them together. And you need to give people time. I don't think uh, you can just say, okay, let's do a merger and within six months, it's all done. People need time to adapt. But then I think it is uh, possible, even for mergers that I've seen that were successful in, successfully integrated in Bush, um, with time, they adopt to the core values that we have at Bush. Mm. I can only add, like I myself, I work in a pretty mature and big like core corporation, and I see what effort is being taken like to consciously create the culture, maintain the culture, and maybe shape it. Because over the time, something shape, uh, shapes needs to be uh, adjusted, not the core values. Core values, as we discussed before, remains the same. Like, uh, But uh, how people interpret those and what behaviors then we would like to see in people, these things change with uh, uh, time maybe expectations for organization. Um, especially now in such a rapidly changing world, there's technologies, AI is coming and so on. So we expect a bit different maybe behaviors from the people when it was compared, I know, 10 years back and so. So um, it's, it's a bit differently maybe how you work with the culture in the small startup and then, then while scaling and then in the mature corporation trying to maintain and review uh, refine it uh, constantly. Uh, so but that's really, really interesting Like to, to see um, all those different efforts organizations putting into uh, creating the cultures. I think that these are really interesting perspectives. And uh, I think my takeaway is sort of that the core values, the core culture in the company needs to remain the same. Otherwise, you lose your identity as a company. That's really, you, you talked to Justine about uh, the, the business impact or, or the, the uh, business value. I think uh, that core identity is really a business value as well with you as a company interacting with other businesses, what you can expect from a company. That goes back to the core values of a company. So you need to really protect that, but then adjust the behaviors and, uh, and the details in, 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 in the culture through the different contexts, either geographically or as the company grows, you need you need you con- continuously need to work with the, the implementation of the values. 
if you intentionally not create a, a culture, not work with culture, culture will form itself. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not the one you would like and that is beneficial like uh, for, for the organization. Um, so I think uh, the organizations and leaders should be aware of that, that they need to work with the culture. Lovely. Well, I guess we'll leave our episode there. This has been another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Matt, Justina, Florian and Denny for joining us on this episode. And thank you to the listeners as well. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at abby.stokes at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.